Hello and welcome to Foxed, the practical podcast series from Fox & Partners. In these podcasts, we'll be looking at scenarios from our day-to-day -day practice, offering solutions to some of the most pressing partnership and employment law questions we hear from our clients. Our goal is to offer a digest of some of today's key issues in a succinct and practical style that we hope you'll find useful and engaging. Thanks for listening. Today, I am here with my colleague, Shiv Raja, to talk about something we come across fairly regularly in our practice dealing with employers and senior executives and partners, and that is post-termination non-compete clauses. What do I mean by that? Essentially, provisions which seek to prevent departing employees or partners from working with what is seen as a competitive entity, post-termination of employment. This podcast topic is split into two parts. In this episode, we will cover why employers choose to include non-compete provisions in contracts, the important components for getting the drafting right, and warning signs for suspected breach of a restriction. In the second part, we will explore potential options if you, as an employer, discover a breach and the pros and cons of taking those steps. Welcome, Shiv. So this topic has come back on our radar a bit recently as a result of a fairly recent government consultation, which has sought to question the future of non-compete provisions, apparently based on a perception that such clauses could stifle innovation and to look at potential alternatives. We are awaiting the outcome of that consultation, but from responses received from representative groups generally, it appears that practitioners feel the status quo is satisfactory as it is, and ultimately often necessary to give businesses breathing space after the loss of someone senior and for protection of confidential information that can be difficult to cover with other restrictive covenants. So Shiv, drilling down a bit further, why do you think employers have non-competes in contracts? Well, thanks very much, Kat, for that very interesting introduction. Well, at the heart of all of this is that as an employer, you're going to have a desire to protect certain business interests you have that you've invested time and money in to develop. For example, you may want to protect the connections you have with the clients or suppliers you've built up. You may want to protect your valuable workforce from being poached. Or you may want to safeguard your confidential information. The law recognises all three of these as something called legitimate business interests. Whilst contracts of employment do contain implied terms to protect an employer whilst the employee is still employed, there is nothing by way of implied protection that restricts an employee from going to work for a competitor following the termination of their employment. What this means is that if you want to protect these legitimate business interests, you're going to need something expressly in writing in your contracts with your employees to give you that protection and which you can then rely on if, if things go wrong. Whilst the courts recognise that other protections do exist in the contract of employment in the form of, for example, confidentiality clauses or non-solicitation and non-dealing clauses, these are often perceived as being difficult to police. So an employer might argue that having a non-compete covenant is necessary in the circumstances, particularly where the individual is very senior or very embedded in the organisation. If we take confidential information as an example, Employees, particularly very senior employees in a business, are likely to have access to highly sensitive information about the business, which would allow the employee to obtain an unfair advantage if they were able to exploit that information straight after leaving their employer. Take, for example, a confidential business plan to develop a new product or investment idea. Having a non-compete restriction in the contract of employment or another contractual document will help to protect that confidential information by keeping a former employee out of the market for a certain period of time hopefully long enough for that information to no longer be confidential. 
It's important to remember that a lot of employers invest a huge amount of time and money in their employees and intellectual property, so they need some kind of security to protect that investment. I agree. And I think a non-compete covenant, either because an employer actually wants to enforce it or sometimes for deterrent value, gives employers the confidence to continue to invest in people and technology, which is important for growth and development in our economy and innovation by businesses, particularly startup businesses, where a lot of investment is required early on. So whilst I'm not saying that the current legal position is completely satisfactory, my view is that if we didn't have non-competes, there would likely be a more cautious approach to investment in certain situations. So Shiv, the common view when clients come to us is that non-competes are never enforceable. We hear that all the time. We know that's not correct. Courts are willing to enforce in certain situations. So what can you do to help arguments as to enforceability and thus compliance um, if you're advising an employer? When examining whether a covenant is enforceable or not, I would start off with the basics. Firstly, has a non-compete actually been incorporated into the contract of employment or another document like a contractual staff handbook? I would always suggest to an employer that they put the restrictive covenants in the contract of employment over any other document as you head off any arguments later on from the employee about whether the staff handbook or another document is legally binding or whether the covenants have been sufficiently tailored to the individual. Secondly, has the contract of employment and any letter of variation been signed? Whilst not signing a contract is not fatal to enforceability, it is an issue that points in an employee's favour when they're looking to challenge the enforceability of the non-compete. On the other hand, if an employer does have a signed contract of employment, it's helpful evidence when an employer is seeking to argue that the employee agreed to the restrictions. Thirdly, making sure that there is adequate consideration. We're seeing this more and more through case law, and this is coming up higher on the agenda. Consideration is basically something that has been exchanged by both parties in order for an agreement to be legally binding. Now, at the start of an employment relationship, this is not so much of an issue because the employee will be receiving a salary as consideration for them agreeing to be bound by the non-compete. However, consideration is something to be mindful of if an employee is being asked to agree a non-compete during their employment. If there's any doubt about whether consideration has been provided, a solution is to execute an agreement by way of deed. So, what other factors are there? Well, firstly, whether the non-compete actually protects a legitimate business interest or has been put into the contract by an employer simply to protect competition in itself. The latter is not allowed. It's always helpful for an employer to identify the legitimate business interest in the contract in advance, because it helps to mitigate the risk of an employee arguing that there is no legitimate business interest further down the line. Secondly, making sure that the scope of the restrictive covenant is not overly wide and does not go further than is reasonably necessary to protect that legitimate business interest. This is basically a test of reasonableness. The bottom line is that the court will only enforce non-compete if it considers it to be reasonable. Otherwise, it's void as being in restraint of trade. The burden in relation to this falls on the employer. Shev, can you give us some examples of some of the factors that the court will look at when considering reasonableness? Sure. Well, it's all very fact-specific and there is no one-size-fits-all approach. However, some of the more common factors include what is the duration of the restraint? Obviously, the longer the restraint, the more onerous it's going to be. Is the notice period very short, but the covenant long? One argument an employee could make is that a short notice requirement indicates a low perceived need for protection, because the shorter the notice period, the less important to the company the employee's services would appear to be. Do senior and junior employees have non-competes of the same length? 
If they do, it might indicate a one-size-fits-all policy, despite some employees having access to more confidential information or more contact with employees than others. My view is covenants should be tailored to the particular individual and may be open to challenge if the same covenant has been applied across the board. Then, I'd consider whether another covenant such as a non-dealing clause can achieve the same purpose in a less onerous way. If you can easily identify the clients that someone has dealt with, an employee may argue that why can't the employer just prevent the employee from dealing with those clients following the termination of their employment, rather than prevent the employee from working for a competing business? The courts will look at whether the covenant is proportionate in the circumstances. Finally, is the non-compete drafted in a way that prevents the employee from working for a business which competes with the part of the business that the employee was engaged in at their former employer? There is often a look-back period in a non-compete which says, for example, you are prevented from working for a competitor if it competes with any part of the business that you have been involved with to a material extent in the 12 months prior to the termination of your employment. It's impossible to give a list of exhaustive factors as each case very much turns on its own facts and that is what makes advising on restrictive covenants an interesting area but one that requires careful thought. Indeed, very interesting Shiv, thank you. Okay, so we've talked about enforceability of restrictions and what employers can do um, to help enforceability. But even if you've got a fantastic restrictive covenant, that doesn't stop employees from breaching. In your experience, what are some of the warning signs that an employee has or is about to breach, albeit those fantastic restrictions? Well, there are a number of ways an employer can find out about a potential breach of a non-compete covenant. Whilst spending a disproportionate amount of time and money in trying to detect competitive activity and constantly monitoring employees in a state of anxiety will do very little to retain employees and may actually erode your workplace culture, it's prudent for employers to take a sensible commercial approach to limit the risk of an employee acting in breach of a non-compete covenant. If employers put appropriate safeguards in place or pay attention to warning signs, it is possible to detect that an employee is about to act in breach. Technology has definitely changed things over the past few years, but this is very much a double-edged sword. On the one hand, increased use of technology can make it harder for employers to detect a breach of restrictions because an employee could use their personal devices to communicate with fellow employees or their future employer without their employer ever finding out. Or the employee could use technology to access their employer's IT system and take confidential information which they want to take with them to their future employer. On the other hand, the advances in technology mean that there is very much a digital footprint when an employee uses devices. And with advances in forensics, it's not usually too difficult to obtain copies of emails and messages that an employee has sent, even when they think they've been deleted from the work device. Employee monitoring is a whole topic in itself, Kat, so I won't discuss it here, except to say that an employer needs to make sure that they pay attention to workplace privacy rights and data protection issues if they undertake any workplace monitoring. I agree, Shiv. Um, when we're talking about warning signs, I suppose the first and most obvious sign is when an employee tells a colleague or even their employer that they're going to work for a competitor. It sounds obvious, but sometimes employees are oblivious to the fact that they may have a restriction that prevents them from going to a competitor. An employer might find out about the employee's plans either through an exit interview um, in response to questioning from HR or maybe when the employee is giving their notice of resignation or of course it might be heard through the grapevine. You know people are quite keen to talk when uh, they decided to to leave their employer. It's 
not unusual for an employee to say that they're going to a business and allege that either the non-compete is unreasonable and seek to negotiate a waiver of the covenant or that the business they're going to doesn't actually fall within the definition of a competing business. We see that a lot. Um, Shiv, what, what do you suggest if the employee is not completely transparent about that? If an employee is not transparent about where they're going and the employer is suspicious that they will act in breach of the non-compete, an employer will have to rely on warning signs and systems and procedures to detect when an employee has or is about to breach his or her non-compete. Common signs that may give employers cause for concern include, firstly, an employee out of the blue and for no apparent reason asking for a copy of their contract of employment. This may indicate that the employee wants to check the provisions of their contract to see whether there are any restrictions or perhaps they want to check their notice period. It can help to have a clause in the contract whereby the employee has a duty to notify their employer if they receive an offer of employment from another firm. There could also be a change in the employee's behaviour generally. If the employee expresses dissatisfaction with their job or makes comments about how, how they might be happier elsewhere, this might indicate that the employee is considering a move. Another thing to watch out for is if an employee is seen out and about with colleagues who they wouldn't ordinarily meet up with, as that might point towards an employee considering a move with colleagues. Unexplained absences can also be a telling sign sometimes. If an employee goes on sick leave and refuses to provide medical evidence or makes sudden holiday requests when usually that employee plans their holidays six months in advance, could potentially point towards the employee having an ulterior motive. Emails and an employee's digital footprint on a work mobile phone may reveal potentially competitive activity as well. Whilst workplace monitoring and privacy rights must of course be considered, it is not uncommon in restrictive covenant cases for an IT department at an employer to come across evidence that an employee has been trying to set up a competing business using their work emails or work mobile phone. Once this activity is discovered, it is important to remember to preserve the evidence for future use. Another thing to watch out for is if there is a sudden spike in the employee's printing activity, as this might point towards the employee printing out confidential information. From what I've seen on previous cases I've worked on, it's not too difficult for an employer to obtain a printing log showing the number of pages that have been printed, the date the printing occurred, and the document that was sent to the printer. There might be a completely innocent explanation for the increased printing activity, such as the employee working on a big project. But if the employee randomly has a spike in printing activity, I think it warrants further investigation. All of this sounds like obvious things to avoid, but it's amazing how often we see things like this in practice. Changes to social media profiles or a LinkedIn status update can also provide clues that an employee is about to move to a competitor. Listeners may be surprised to hear that it's not uncommon for employees to let their excitement get the better of them and for them to start to post things about joining a competitor or them starting a competing business on social media. And what started off simply as a post on social media may give the game away for an employee. Once an employer finds out, it should then take all necessary steps to protect the business. Looking at the register at company's house can also give some vital signs about competitive activity. If you type someone's name in on the register at company's house, it will show you whether they're a director of a company. You can then click on the company name and find out when that company was incorporated. This may provide important evidence that the employee has already started to compete or is about to compete following the termination of their employment. And lastly, market rumours can also be a telling sign. As we know, people often talk, and so if an employer keeps their ear close to the ground and pays attention to what people are saying, 
it is possible that someone may let slip that the employee is going to go and set up a competing business. Yes, all very real warning signs. I mean, sometimes it can actually be something as innocuous as a third party sending an email to an employee's work email address rather than their personal email address that gives the game away and tips the employer off to competitive activities. I think it's important for employers to bear in mind that there might well be a completely innocent explanation um, for any of the potential warning signs that Shiv and I have been talking about. And obviously we are not advocating close monitoring and paranoid behaviour like this, but I think best practice would be for an employer not to jump to any conclusions without first investigating matters thoroughly and considering the evidence. But we simply point out these potential warning signs based on our experience of things that we've seen in the past. And that concludes part one of this podcast two-part series looking at non-competes. Please join us next time for part two, which will cover practical and legal options for employers if a breach or potential breach of a non-compete provision is discovered. Thank you for listening to this episode of Foxed, and we hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe via your usual podcast platform, or you can find more details at our website, foxlawyers.com.